everyone, and no. welcome to the Enthusiastic Critic. No. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me today, and her eyes got no human grace, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Don't you have listeners in France? I do. Randomly? I, we, uh-huh, yeah. That's a... Oh. I'm oddly popular you're, in France. You just lost them. <laughs> you just lost them. On this week's episode, Nikki and I continue our 2022 Halloween movie marathon, and this year we're watching films that neither of us has seen before. Today, we're sitting down for our first viewing of an influential French classic, Georges Franjou's Eyes Without a Face from 1960. And now you've made me self-conscious, so I won't even attempt the French title. You should, No, you should definitely attempt it. <laughs> I don't think... I, I, think, I think you need I to. I don't think I'm going to do that. I think you need to. No. But before we get to the movie, Nikia... I thought this week we'd have a little discussion first. Okay. Uh, In the past, we've tried to have these sort of genre discussions about various horror creatures and tropes. Mm -hmm. But after so many years of doing this, I think we've just about exhausted the topics. (laughs) There's nothing else to say. (laughs) I mean, you know, we talked about zombies when we did Dawn of the Dead. We talked about ghosts when we did The Innocents. We talked about vampires when we did The Lost Boys. We talked about witches when we did The Witch. (laughs) The Vivitch. We talked about slasher films during our double feature on Friday the 13th and Sleepaway Camp. We've we've covered a lot of ground here. That list I just gave is far from exhaustive. Mm-hmm. But one of the haunting images from this movie we're going to watch is the mask worn by Edith Scobes' character. And I, I, it made me realize I don't think we've talked about that basic fundamental trope of both Halloween and horror movies. The simple mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we just last night watched Halloween, what is it? I think it's Ends. Ends. Yes. Halloween Ends. <laughs> Not good. The umpteenth and <laughs> allegedly last entry in the Not Michael Myers good. saga. Yeah. And there's no doubt that Michael Myers would not be Michael Myers without that creepy, placid William Shatner mask mm-hmm. that he wears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, a couple times in that movie, he loses his mask. And we never see his face clearly, but we can see that he's basically like an old unshaven hobo without his mask on. He's a little scarred up and stuff under there after all the years. It's just not the same effect without the mask. No. And, you know, then I was thinking about like Jason in the Friday the 13th movies. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really click as a franchise character until the third movie when he gets his iconic hockey hockey mask. mask. Uh, I think the second movie he wears like a burlap sack or something, but it's like. The branding is really that (laughs) hockey mask. And then the Scream movies, they figured out you don't even need to have an iconic killer as long as you got the mask. So they, every movie, someone else puts the mask on and you just, it seems like the same killer just because it's got the mask. So I thought maybe we'd just talk about masks. Why are masks, to begin with, so creepy? (laughs) We're reaching here. Okay. Why are masks? (laughs) What what do you mean by that? (laughs) So this is a perfectly valid topic for conversation <laughs> to kill a few minutes of the podcast. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's indulge this. Um, why are masks so creepy? I mean, so much of how we communicate and understand each other as human beings is being able to look someone in the eye, being able to see their full face, being able to sort of read those nonverbal cues and all the like nuanced things that happen on the face when you're talking to someone or even just looking at someone. So much of how we just connect to another person and build empathy with someone 
mm-hmm. because I can see your face. And when I can't, all the, I start to fill that space <laughs> with other things, with fear, with mistrust, um, even something as benign of like, it, there doesn't have to be a mask involved. But I imagine a lot of folks over the past couple of years have been engaged in Zoom meetings uh-huh. and the constant reframe of like, can people just turn on their cameras? Like mm-hmm. it makes people uneasy to be talking to a screen full of black screens where they can't, I can't see your face, so I don't know how you're receiving what I'm saying. Or if I'm trying to share something really vulnerable and I can't see your face, I'm now really uncomfortable and I'm uneasy and I'm not okay with the ambiguity that's happening right now. So even like take the mask out of it. When I can't, when we can't see the people that we're communicating with, we become uncomfortable very quickly. Well, we've also the last couple of years all been wearing masks. All been wearing masks, yes. When we're in we're some of us have. Yeah. <laughs> when we're out in public. Yes. And it is weird. I've been to a few social, quote unquote, gatherings where everyone was masked. It's weird. It's weird. To talk to people when you can't even see their mouths and see. Yeah. Yeah. Then it becomes a lot about the eyes and you're just like, is that person smiling with their eyes? Is even I know that Eyes I, without a face. Yes. I over emote when I have the mask on because I'm trying to like You're trying to compensate. Like I am, this is me smiling. I am happy. I am nice. <laughs> when, um, but when I have you, my shades what's on. What's the Tyra Banks phrase? Yes. Smize. Smizing. Yes, gotta get yeah, your smile. smile Everybody's perfected yes. their smize over the past <laughs> two years. Yes. Okay. And I, the other reason I thought this was worth talking about for a few minutes is because I, it, I think you are very susceptible to the mask as an image in mm-hmm. these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and to prove that, I will ask you one simple question. Okay. Are you my mummy? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. No. That will be an obvious reference for some of our <laughs> listeners and a deep poll for others. <laughs> that was an episode of Doctor Who with a small child in a gas mask who yeah. was creepy as shit Super and creeped creepy. the hell out of you. Yes. I mean, masks do the thing. Like, horror films, they are very visual pieces of work. And so if you can get a mask and you can get an iconography of a character that just, like, stays with people, you're golden. Like, the Michael Myers and the the Halloween and the Scream masks. And even, like, the... What's... um. Leatherface, those like those are just images that will never leave you, and they become like deeply embedded in like the cultural psyche. I do think you're onto something there. There, that makes me think about like Scott McCloud in his book Understanding Comics talks (laughs) about cartoons and like the more simple a face is, the more we project onto it. So it's it's the opposite of the uncanny valley thing, right? It's like a very simple face we identify with it or we project on, and we our imagination has to fill in the blanks. And so maybe you're right. Maybe that is the other side of that is when it's a scary image that's mm-hmm. just one of those blank faces, it becomes scarier than it would be if it was a human face. Yeah. Well, and even if there, I think there are moments too where those masks that allow you to see a little bit of the human face. So Michael Myers, the William Shatner face, it's just distorted. Like it is not, <laughs> <laughs> it is not a, it, so it's a little bit saggy. So you can see a little bit of his eyes, but they're always really shaded. And then with, even Leatherface, you have the mask made of human skin, but you can still sort of see his face and his skin underneath. So there's this, like, you know, there's something under there and there's this want to see what's under there. But then this wonder of like, oh, God, is what's under there even worse, worse than, than what? what I'm seeing right now? And that's that's weird. So it's yeah, it's we are uncomfortable with the barrier. It creates right. a barrier. And so if you are now a threat to me, I feel like I can't get to you through empathy. 
Like I can, I, there's no humanity to connect to, to plead for my life or to try to get you mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. why, like, I just want to live You're in this moment. This You're just this blank ruthless thing. object. And so the mask becomes even scarier than the weapon. Like you're not scared of Michael Myers knife. Mm-hmm. You're not scared of Jason's, what does he have? Like a machete sort of thing. What sure. Some, I think yeah, so. I think right. so. We don't even remember. Like it's, right. it's not. <laughs> you're right. That's the, the weaponry thing. is not iconic. Right. That's the thing that's going to kill you. And yet. The thing that you are, well, as viewers that I'm fixated on is the face. And I can't see your face and I can't connect to the humanity. Why is it always pale? It's almost always pale. It's almost always pale. Why is that? I mean, I, there's logistical. I think it's probably technical things of like lighting of, It shoots when he, when Michael Myers' face appears out of the darkness. Right. That's scary. But is there something about white that's inherently scary? I mean, I think there's. If it was a bright red mask or a blue (laughs) mask, would that not be scary? I mean, I think there is a... I can't think of any exceptions off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of like a, a bright mask now. I mean, I think there are some that are sort of painted. So there are some right. where... Well, then you're getting into clown faces. Right, clown faces. Or I think there's a scary movie where they had like foxes and bunny things on. So yeah, there's a little bit of right. color. Yeah. That movie, was it with Liv Tyler? Where they're in the house? The Strangers, yes. There that's... was like a doll face. Yeah. So I think the white is just like it evokes lifelessness and like death and there's there's no anima, there's no blood, mm. there's no nothing. The other ones, I think it's more about these are masks that in any other context would probably be fine, but you take them out like at a kid's party, <laughs> a bunny mask or a clown mask. It's like, okay, yes, that makes sense. That's fine. I'm not. Actually, I still think it's creepy. It's but creepy, okay. but it's creepy because like we now have this other understanding of where they could go. Right. Um, if they had always stayed in the kid place, they'd be fine, but they drifted. So <laughs> when you take them out of that context, our brain is then trying to understand like, okay, why are you here? What is this? I'm, I'm, this doesn't make sense. And, and the ones that have the sort of frozen smiles, uh, that's yeah. even creepier because it's just like now you have the sort of cognitive dissonance of creepy smile and you're coming at me with a knife. And I'm, <laughs> I was like, I'm having it's almost like you hear sometimes stories of like neurodivergent people of how it can be difficult in social situations for them to like read people's faces and mm-hmm. understand nonverbal yeah. cues and things are, get really confusing. It's sort of like that. Oh, that's all of a sudden, I can I don't. We're all put in that we're position. We're all now put in that position where I, just, I can't understand what's happening in right. this situation. It's hard for me to read what's happening and then I'm dead. <laughs> so I had that trouble and this is not a scary movie, but I think the mask has become very iconic. Uh, v for Vendetta. Mm, mm-hmm. And I loved the comic, the graphic novel V for Vendetta. When I watched the movie, it was so, it's so weird hearing dialogue and not seeing someone's mouth mouth move. Yeah. Yeah. It's disturbing. It's a weird thing. It's disturbing to watch someone's face and not see the mouth move. Yeah. When they're talking. Yeah. Which is actually another, um, can be another symptom of like neurodivergence is there's something like if they, if they can't see where the sound is coming from, Mm -hmm. they, it's hard to sort of process sort of what's happening. And so right. I think it's that's an interesting idea of like all of a sudden we're, we're put into this place where it's like, I cannot understand what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just weird, man. And it's like a sign that someone is like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> like there, <laughs> it's a sign of like all the sort of social norms and rules of society you put well, on you keep mask. saying that. That keeps yeah, coming up like, as we discuss these movies. Is that like, like just breaking the rules? Yeah, the somebody social has contract. Cro- they've crossed the line mentally yeah. where it's like, now I'm going to do some shit. I put on this mask. And I think we see that with 
particularly with the Michael Myers mask, it almost feels like he's uncomfortable without the mask. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Like it's like it's the source of it. his powers yeah. or something. And even in this, um, the Halloween ends. No, no spoilers now. Oh shit, that's right. <laughs> it just came. It just came out. We can't. <laughs> I forgot that's we can't spoil it. <laughs> that's right. So the ma- yes, the mask plays an important part in this this quote unquote final film. But this idea of like the mask is necessary to allow the person to then cross this sort of line of like, okay, now I can do this really awful, horrible thing. Right. Right. Because it's not me. I think that I think that has feet and I don't I don't I'm not fluent in that franchise, but I I think in some of the other Michael Myers sequels, like the thing about him needing to like get his face back has Mm -hmm. been Mm -hmm. like that's he escapes from the asylum. And the first thing he needs to do is get his face back kind of thing. Yeah. And that is something you see in other, um, it makes me think of Rorschach in Watchmen, mm. has that same relation. It's like, the guy not wearing the Rorschach mask is a nobody, and right. he, his face is his power. When right. he puts that on, he becomes Rorschach. Well, and even this idea of, like, it reveals our true self, so as much as it... I think it's interesting because, like, to the object... The, the observer. The observer. Right. The mask feels like a barrier, a lie, Right. But to the person wearing the mask, it is actually a manifest. It's like, this is my true self. I get to really fully live into this this primal part of right, who I am. Right. So, yeah, masks are creepy. And at a very, like, basic elementary level, we all watch Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> you spend 20 minutes or however long chasing around this damn ghost or whatever, mm-hmm. this masked phantom. And then you get to the last couple of minutes and they unmask it and it's some middle-aged dude. Who like wants to just just like a real estate control the building or something, or something right. and so it's like oh he's really scary when we think it's a ghost and then you unmask and it's just this this fucking <laughs> Robert Baron or whatever the fuck and so it, it does it's like okay this is but then it's like the the real truth of that right is like the true thing we should all be scared of is capitalism but <laughs> it was in the ghost form that it was really creepy it's like that could be anybody it could be anything it's like no. It's just a guy who wants to own all the buildings on this this block. Which is scary, but in a different it's way. It's scary in a different way. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, did, do you have some favorites that we haven't mentioned so far? Mm, I mean, none of these some are my per- favorite. particularly scary images uh... of masks? I have, a, if we, I have a feeling if we argue about what's the scariest, it's just going to come down to Michael Myers. Because I really I mean, it's such that's... a good, like, they just yeah. landed on such a powerful yeah. visual. Totally like, accidentally, just... but they just locked that in. It's, so. a, it's crazy. But what are some other good ones? Ugh. So Leatherface bothers me on a number of levels. <laughs> is, it, is it the badly sewn together human skin it, it, aspect? It's just like, how fucked up do you got to be hmm. to one... Slice folks up and yeah. cut off their skin because that takes time. It it does. There's then you got to sit down. You got to sew involved. it together. Mm, yeah. And then you got to put that wet, rank, rancid ass shit on your face. <laughs> you're in Texas. It's hot as hell, and you just you may you may remember he actually does like drag makeup on top of the and mask just... and stuff. Yeah. So there's like levels to that mask. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh fuck. Like yeah. No, there's a. <laughs> There's a story there that you just don't want to know. I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, so that may be the most, like, just dis- viscerally <laughs> bothersome to me because I'm just like, oh, you've made a lot of choices. Yeah. And it, it doesn't smell good it in that mask. It doesn't smell good. It's not going to keep. It's just, mm bothers me so much. Um, so that may be the one that's, for me. That's fair. Mm-hmm. 
when I when I started thinking about the ones that are truly creepy to me, mm-hmm. the ones you talked about in The Strangers, yeah. which we watched for the podcast, yeah. those are very creepy. And they are just complete blank porcelain doll yeah. faces. Isn't one of them just thing. like a burlap sack, too? Yes. Like, yep. even then, it's just like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 And that's close to, like, the leather face thing, but yeah. it's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about Us, mm. Jordan Peele's Us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of different masks in that, right? Because there's doubled characters. Right. I think the human, quote-unquote, child, the boy wears, like, a gorilla mask or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. But then his counterpart wears a creepy as shit mask. Like a, yeah, it's like a, a white, zip. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. weird, yeah, that's bad. And even with, like, that one also played into, like, the creepy smile thing a lot. Oh, like, there's yes. there's a lot of creepy yes, things. Yes, like, oh, yes. that bothers me. <laughs> 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 um, in the end, you don't, you're not going to remember this because you didn't click with this movie, but at the end of Brazil, okay. Michael Palin's doctor character mm-hmm. wears, like, a baby mask. Mm-hmm. It's super creepy. Yeah, babies. It's like this good. bloated baby face no. mask. Anything that's, yeah, that's supposed to be innocent and cute that you then turn into something menacing yeah it feel it's a betrayal yeah it's just like oh we know again we've crossed the line i know um there's i think hannibal lecter's the, the mask fam- yeah which again it's supposed to be something that keeps you safe from him right but it's like it's a creepy image it's a creepy ass mask yeah like you should feel safer when you look at him wearing that thing no. but and he's behind glass. Like, I just, no, at no point <laughs> do I feel like anybody is say he's behind glass, he's strapped in, can't do it. No. Yeah, and I don't know why the gas mask kid bothers me. I think part of it that is the That kid seriously creeped you out to the extent that I, like, tortured you with I that Because I think it's the voice in combination with the, the mask. So, one, it's a child... Now a dead right. child. A little, a little child. Yeah. He's like five years old. He's like old. A, a little toddler kid. Who, what is he, like nanites or something at this point? Yeah, like some, it's, it's some weird he's shit. Like, he's like almost so dead. Like he's not like reanimated fully alive, dead. But he's yeah. A, yeah. And then he's like, mommy. Like, being, like it's the voice. That just From like, behind the gas mask. This <laughs> like makes me so uneasy. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> Uh, there's a movie that's on our list. We will watch for one of these marathons eventually, The Orphanage. Mm-hmm. Kid, I think he's a ghost in that, that has, like, just a creepy... It's almost like a Raggedy Ann, mm. Raggedy Andy sort of clown mask, but it's, like, asymmetrical burlap sacky. It's, like, it's super creepy. Yeah. Um, one of the things I thought of, and it's, again, it's not a horror movie, the mask that, uh, Mozart's father has on in Amadeus. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and part of it is every time he shows up, we hear like Mozart's Requiem. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which is, he turns yeah. his face and it's just like, but that's a super creepy image. <laughs> masks are just, they're quite powerful. And I was, actually now I was trying to think about little kids and masks that are not also in horror films. Do you remember that movie? Um, and I don't think you like it. And I don't know why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. The eternal question. And I haven't seen it in a long time, so it may mean I just need to revisit it. Uh-huh. But it's Kevin Costner, and I think he, like, kidnaps a little kid. Oh, A Perfect World. Yes. 
And I don't know if it was on Halloween. I like. I just. I mean, I don't remember it very well. But like, he had a the little kid that he the little boy has like a Casper mask that he wears. I think they like steal it uh-huh. at some point, and he like puts the Casper mask on, and then he starts to sort of. At this point, there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome going on where he's he's treating Kevin Costner as almost like a father figure sort of thing, and I think he steals the mask and he puts it on, and it's not a horror movie, and it's not meant to be creepy at all. But as soon as he puts the Casper mask, I'm just like, mm, I, don't, I don't think I would let my kids do Halloween. I think that's what I'm realizing right now. <laughs> Like, it's weird. So if we have kids, they're not allowed they to dress up in no, costumes? No, not with a mask. <laughs> no. Even just those cheap plastic ones with the right. rubber this bands? Right, this is what that was. It was just a casting yeah. mask with the rubber band sort of thing. And I was just like, no, I don't, it's creepy. <laughs> no. It's a gateway. It's a gateway to murder. <laughs> there's an episode of the TV show Evil, which you don't watch, mm. but it's a, it's a good show. And there's an episode in the first season where the kids are having a Halloween party and there's one little girl in... Just like one of those totally cheap plastic, like princess mm-hmm. masks, but at some point as they're sitting around in a circle and they realize that the kid behind that mask is not not a kid who they thought it was, yeah. not See, who they that's the part. had invited. I to think the that's party. what it was. And what it is is like I don't. I, now I'm not sure. Yeah, and I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. And the, like that could be you don't need a mask for someone to all of a sudden. Go crazy. Go crazy. Right. Or be mm-hmm. a, like, you could be a murderer and not right. have a mask. And yet, when you put the mask on, now I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> <laughs> you're here to start some shit. And that's, that's the, so this is also, I think, the beauty of the Scream franchise. Like you said, it's like anybody could go in and buy that, like, $20 Halloween costume. Right. And it could be anyone. Right. Once you, so if I'm putting myself in that world, anybody that has that on, I'm like, oh, you're, okay, you're now, I need to kill you. I would. Probably kill a lot of people on Halloween. Because <laughs> I don't want to... Well, this is something I said last night when we were watching that Halloween movie. It's like, it, if this was the real world, everybody in that town would be wearing yeah. Michael Myers masks. Yeah. That would be the most popular Halloween costume in Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah. And I think I would be of the mindset of anybody that's wearing it, I'm shooting you on sight. <laughs> Ask questions later. <laughs> Okay, we well, are going to go to jail <laughs> pretty quickly, I think. That's, fine. That's cool. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm going to play the odds on this one. In a town in the woods at the top of a hill, there's a house where no one lives. So you take a big bag of your big city money there and buy it. But at night when the house is dark and you're all alone There's a noise upstairs At the top of the stairs there's a door And you take a deep breath and try it And the flashlight shows you something moving just inside the door There's a tattered dress and a feeling you have felt somewhere before All right. So do you actually know anything about this movie we're watching today? No. No, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So this is one of those movies that's on just about every critic's list of the greatest horror movies of all time. I had planned to watch it for my, I have this series on my blog called Independent (laughs) Study in World Cinema, where I'm watching movies not in English. 
doing that in chronological order. Um, that series is about 10 years behind mm-hmm. schedule at this point. Mm-hmm. So it'd be another more years, frankly, than I have left before I would get to this movie. So we're just going to we're going to watch it this week. Okay. Um, this is the director is Georges Franju, one of the founders of the Cinémathèque Française. Primarily, he was known as a documentary filmmaker, and in fact, when this movie came out, it was deemed to be quite unworthy of his abilities Mm. by the French critical community. Um, You know, this was sort of in in the French New Wave period. Nobody was making horror movies, and nobody was taking horror movies very seriously in France. This movie was, when it was released, it apparently created a lot of controversy because there were reports of people either fleeing or fainting during certain scenes um when it was released in america dubbed into english it was retitled the horror chamber of dr faustus <laughs> despite there being no chamber or faustus in the movie and it was released on a double bill with a fairly generic two-headed monster movie called the manster i'm sorry the manster <laughs> yes it's like monster only it's a man so it's a it's a Manster. So it was a man with two heads. I have not actually seen this movie. I regret to I regret to report. Well, now I need to know more about that. <laughs> Would <laughs> you rather watch the Manster? We could do the double feature as this I, was originally no. meant to be seen. No, thank you. If you would like, continue I can see with Doctor Faustus. The, it's not called Doctor <laughs> Faustus. Uh, so basically, this movie didn't make much of a splash when it first came out, and the reviews on either side of the Atlantic were not great. Hmm. Uh, One British critic writing the monthly film Bulletin said, When a director as distinguished as Georges Franju makes a horror film, one cannot but feel tempted to search for symbols and allegory, layers, or interpretation. Unhappily, there is practically nothing in this inept work to offer any encouragement for doing so. That's shitty. Right? Not an encouraging review. Isabel Quigley, writing in The Spectator, said, Eyes Without a Face gets my prize as the sickest film since I started film criticism. I mean, at least that's as sickest is. That's a... Sick, that's... Sure. That's, You're interested, at least. You're like, okay. <laughs> that was basically her entire review. Nice. But this film's reputation has only grown over the decades to follow. Writing in Slate, critic David Edelstein said it was still among the most disturbing horror movies ever made. Andrew Hahn, writing in Bright Lights Film Journal, compares it favorably to the thematically similar, though arguably inferior, Psycho, which came out the same year. Wow, okay. Both films expose the horrifying extremes that can be hidden by the social mask, Han writes, but the arc in Franju's film maintains an uncommon grace as he ascribes a consistently disorienting poetry to the camera lens, which is, of course, an eye without a face. Time Out, in a list a few weeks ago of the 100 best horror movies of all, of all time, put Eyes Without a Face at number 38. Kenneth Turan, writing in the Los Angeles Times, says, Like a nightmare that never ends, this is a vision of madness, loneliness, and, yes, horror. That once seen demands to be viewed over and over again. It is that haunting and that good. Okay, so something to look forward to here. Well, it sounds like it's either terrible or amazing. <laughs> and it has been a very influential movie. Pedro Almodovar's The Skin I Live In, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't remember that well, but it was a conscious riff on this movie. Hmm. John Carpenter, bringing this full circle, has said that the Michael Myers mask was inspired by the mask mm. from Eyes Without a Face. I, again, we haven't watched this movie yet, but I, I am told that the cinematic masterpiece we watched a few years ago here on the podcast, Face Off, has elements that can be traced back to this movie. That's a, that's a ding for me. <laughs> 
And of course, Billy Idol reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 with his song, Eyes Without a Face, at least loosely inspired by this movie. <laughs> I haven't I haven't actually parsed the lyrics. I don't know how closely it, it follows this movie, but mm. I know Billy was a fan. Okay. So uh, what are you expecting from Eyes Without a Face? I mean, after that, I have no idea. Again, <laughs> it's either really terrible or amazing and brilliant, so... Or it could be really boring. That's always a possibility, too. Or it could also too. be really boring, which will, you know, then you should keep all that other stuff in because <laughs> I don't know what else we're going to talk about. I'm going to need it to yeah. pad out the conversation. Mm-hmm. Very possible. Let's find out. We are going to watch Eyes Without a Face. All right. Tell me why this movie moved you. George Franju, his first filmmaking exercise was a documentary on a slaughterhouse that was called The Sang de la Bête, The Blood of the Beasts. Therefore, is a man that pulls no punches when it comes to graphic stuff. And yet, is a guy that is also capable to capture a feminine, poetic, tragic essence in the central character. It's like Audrey Hepburn, an undead Audrey Hepburn character that influenced me a lot by the contrast of beauty and brutality that I uh, favor and love. And the fact that at the center of all the horrible things that happen, there are all immense acts of love by a father. When the reason for brutality is genuine, it makes the brutality all the more disturbing. And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Eyes Without a Face. So, Nakia, I will say this is a movie that I wish I had time to watch a couple more times and really let it sink in. Uh, so I'm, I'm still figuring out what I think about it. But what did you think about it? Um, I liked it. I think reflecting back on some of the sort of criticisms that you shared or the reflections from other folks that had sort of seen it in that time where it was like people were fainting in the aisles or someone (laughs) saying that it was the, what was it? The, it was the, the sickest, the sickest thing they've sort of ever seen. seen. I think I went into it with a certain set of expectations. Right. Right. And that, and I should, and part of that is my bad, right? Because it's like, okay, what, what would that mean in 1960 when they saw this film versus me sitting in 2022 when we have the, the things you've seen been since. through hell? So um, <laughs> I think that was just I I should have well, made that sort of recap. There's still at least one scene that's right, but even but by, still particularly graphic. But by today's standards, it's it's yeah. tame. I mean, it's it's not. We've seen worse. We we have seen worse. This is true. Yes. I mean, this is post human centipede. So, I mean, anything after that is like, yeah, sure. You have not seen human centipede. I have not seen human, but I have heard. So, no thank you. It is a beautiful movie. It is. Visually. Yes. And it's definitely a mood. And I think Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what it would take me a couple of more viewings to sort of, and it's like you said, it's about expectations too. Mm -hmm. So, just Mm -hmm. to sort of tune myself to the rhythms of this movie. It's very slow. Yes. It's composed. And it's very, it's very it's a yes. very composed film. And it's very sort of understated. Yeah. I think I, I spent a lot of the movie waiting for a sort of dramatic mm-hmm. crescendo mm-hmm. that never really comes. There's obviously 
the story gets resolved, there's confrontations, there's definitely a dramatic climax within the parameters of this film. But everything seemed like, okay, I'm waiting for the big scene, yeah. the big... And that, it, I think it says more about my expectations than it does about the film itself. Well, I mean, I think with horror films, I think we are often trained to sort of, it is a little bit of that roller coaster ride of it's ramping up to the peak and then you dip. And, and so there are these tonal shifts throughout the film because part of that is like, that's how you manipulate our emotions in that horror film too. Is like you get us to a point and then it's like, oh, this is a jump scare. Or, oh, it's the big sort right. of um, gory scene. And this one was very... For the most part, it was the same tone and mood throughout the entire film. And even in the moments where it was like the quote-unquote big sort of action set pieces. Right. The mood was still like, we're still here. Yeah. We're, we're not excited. Just, you know, it, so it was, it's interesting. It's an interesting way to approach a, a horror film. All right. So what do you, how do you, how do you want, how do you want to approach this one? I don't know. There's, there's actually not a lot of plot. So maybe let's mm -hmm. just sort of go through it here. Mm-hmm. I actually really love the opening shots of this film that we're, we're inside a car and the, the lights of the car are illuminating the trees that run alongside the road out in the middle of fucking nowhere mm -hmm. in France. But it's, it's disorienting because you realize we're not in the point of view of the person driving the car. We're not seeing out the front of the car where we're going. We're sort of seeing out the back. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're a passenger in this car as we're going down the road and we're not quite sure who's who's driving the car. Like, that's the position we're put in right from the start. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just visually gorgeous. Yeah. And then, and that's where we meet the person who is driving the car is Louise. This is Alita Valley as Louise. Uh, and she has a, she's, she's in the front seat and she has a passenger in the back seat. Yes. A passenger who is slumped over <laughs> with a hat on, so we don't see their face. We can see a, a sort of glimpse that something's not quite right with the face. You yeah. can tell that something's going on there, and it's obvious that this person is either deeply inebriated or dead. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not moving. As they're the car not, bounces, right. they're, they're not, not sort they're of moving. Sort of they're just kind of, yeah. yeah. We, we learn she's, she's dumping a body. She's dumping a body. In a wonderfully shiny patent leather, like black trench coat. <laughs> Which just looks perfect against the dark sky. It's it's she she looks fabulous while disposing of a body. And isn't that really what's That's important? Really, and it's very practical. Like you're going to be dumping a body. Wear some patent leather. You can just sort of white. I mean, down. do you want to wear white in that situation? You don't want to wear white. You don't want to wear anything that you have to. You know, that might get stained. So you wear something you can wipe down and keep it moving. <laughs> and then we meet Doctor Genesier, mm -hmm. uh, played by Pierre Brasseur. Uh, he is. He, he's a scientist, and he's he's giving a speech mm -hmm. to, I assume, a bunch of other scientists. I'm not sure we ever really know or that it matters. Uh, talking about his procedure of transplanting living tissue from one person to another. Yes. He is a uh, what seems to be a world-renowned surgeon slash scientist, um, and everyone seems to be very impressed with what he is saying. No one's asking any questions about how you graft living skin from one thing to another. Uh, they all seem to be deeply impressed. But at the end of his speech, there's, you know, sort of rumblings after him. And someone makes the comment of he's gotten weirder since his wife and his daughter. Right. His wife died and his daughter disappeared. disappeared. So there is at least some sense that what he is proposing is controversial. Yes. At best. And is it is it immediately after that the... That he gets called to come identify a body? Yes. Right. Yes. 
Uh, so he goes to a morgue to identify a body that has washed up on the shore, which we saw being dumped at the beginning of right. the film. And he identifies that as his daughter, Christiane. When in actuality, and we are, let me hold on. Let me stop first because sure. before we get there, the police are describing this body, mm-hmm. and this is where we get our first little taste of the excessively grotesque in this movie. Because they're talking about how the the body looks like it's been in a car accident. It had facial burns. It was immersed in the river. They talk about rats chewing on it. Yes, like it's again more detail really than we need for this. But this sort of gives us a little hint of how. Well, but they also note that the facial scars, it looks like someone very neatly cut the skin off with a scalpel. Yes. But they don't then follow that line. Now, the police in this movie suck. This is a movie we will, this is a theme we will let that go. Um, So, yes, he identifies it as his daughter when, in fact, it is what had been a missing girl. I believe her name was Simone or something like that to throw the police and others off the trail. Right. And he runs into that girl's father outside the morgue Mm -hmm. and says, no, no, it's not your daughter. It's my daughter. And he gets, like, really snotty with him. He does, because that man is very much still grieving his daughter, even though he thinks his daughter may potentially still be alive. And the doctor's like, funny how I need to be, like, comforting you in this moment when that's my daughter in there when he knows. (laughs) When he knows damn well. That is not his daughter. It's this man's daughter on the slab. So he's a little bit of a, you know, these first glimpses into the, the moral ambiguity of uh, the doctor here. <laughs> All right, so we don't we don't have to go completely in order here. Let's what what tell me about the doctor. The doctor is a man who has been driven to sort of mad scientist tendencies by grief and love and obsession. See, I feel like it's more obsession. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the grief. I don't know the grief and love comes through. I mean, he obviously would have done this anyway, whether or not he caused the car accident that disfigured his daughter. Because he'd done it before. So Louise, his right-hand woman, was actually the benefactor of his Right. She was his success story. He he fixed the scars. She wears a pearl necklace to cover the few remaining scars. but. So it's clear that he was going to be going down this path anyway. Right. So I, I think this is, we can, and we can stick a pin in it, but I think one of the questions is loving, guilt-ridden father, psychopathic, egomaniac. So I think it's both. Okay. I mean, I think you could be loving, guilt-ridden father and not end up where he ended up. <laughs> but when you combine that with psychopathic doctor, and it's not, I mean, it's, I think it's hubris, right? It is, right. he is obviously right. a man of science who feels that, you know, God made a mistake, I should be able to fix it. Or yeah. I will do better what God sort of fucked up. Right, right. So when that you always com- goes well. combine those things, then you get someone who feels like it's okay to just yeah. pick up vulnerable women and slice their faces off. And this is, I mean, it's, the bones of this story are very much like an old monster movie, mm-hmm. you know, or this is Dr. Frankenstein. This is the mad scientist. It's just what what they do with it that makes this mm-hmm. a different kind of movie. Well, because there is a little bit, I think there is a part of this that makes you a little bit empathetic for him because it's like, oh, you know. He does have grief and, and guilt around causing the car accident that scarred his daughter. And he wants to make all this right. He's just trying to. And so you can empathize with it. But then when you are faced with the realities of his methods. Yeah. It it gets harder and harder to sort of say, okay, this is someone who is 
struggling with grief and is trying to demonstrate and is like, no, this is this is a murderer. Okay, so then, so let's so let's talk about Christiane. Mm-hmm. This is his daughter, played by Edith Scobe. I uh, I like it. This is it's one of those things that it took me like oh, really like just tuning into this movie. He drives back to the house, this mm-hmm. mansion out in the country, and it's a long sequence where he parks the car and he puts he opens the garage door and he dr- puts the car away and then he walks through all of these rooms of the house and up several staircases. It's just a really long, slow sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at first I'm like, really, do we need to spend quite so much time on this? But it, it does somehow, like the distance from where he come from his like public persona to her way up in the attic room that he has to go through this whole time to get up there. I don't, there's something there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's he lives in this ridiculous estate quite like it's it's huge and yet when you get inside it it feels very claustrophobic and small Mm -hmm. and isolating and so there is a little bit of the princess in the tower sort of vibe yes with you know where christiana is kept and she is very much that she is kept she is not formally a prisoner and no she's not locked up is absolutely it's clear that she's expected to sort of stay in the room. Right. I think he really, even says to her yeah. in that first scene, I don't want you snooping right. around or yeah. something like that. And she wears a mask. <laughs> she wears a mask. Uh, so, yes, she has this very porcelain, blank, doll-like mask with just sort of the eye holes and there's no color to it that she is basically required to wear. Like, it's very clear that he doesn't even want to see her Right. When we first meet face. her, she's not wearing it. And right. Louise comes in and says, you have to get have used to, to wearing your mask. Your mask. Yeah. And, yes. And so it gives her... She she looks like a porcelain doll when she puts it on because she has that. And she has this very, like, doll-like hair. And she's wearing these sort of prissy sort of house coat things. It's a very... It's a little bit like... Mia Farrow and Rosemary's Baby sort yes. of vibe to them. Um, very waif-like. And, and the way that she moves is very st- somehow dancer-like but stiff at the same time. Like she's not fully human right. in her body. Almost like a puppet or a marionette right. or a and so it's And so when she is moving throughout the house, it do- it's like a fucking ghost. It, it looks like there's a ghost moving through the home. It does not look like, oh, that's a human woman who happens to be wearing a mask. No, that's a ghost walking through this home. So we, we started out, we had this whole conversation about masks. Mm-hmm. Where does this image of the mask fit into your... I mean, it's pretty creepy because she does have these big expressive eyes. Yes. And that's all you see in the, the, the... Like, it's just totally blank. And so there's... And she doesn't talk very much in the film no. at all. It's all in her body movement. It's all in her eyes. And like I said, she looks like a like a doll walking through... The house, so it is. It's it's a creepy visual. I saw uh, a quote from Franju, and I don't have the exact wording, but basically he said he thought one of the keys to that was that she's a very sweet girl, and all we see of her is her eyes. But her eyes are not expressing sweetness. Mm-mm. Her eyes are very analytical. She's watching and she's thinking and mm-hmm. she's figuring things out. And I hadn't thought of it that way until mm-hmm. I saw that quote. But it's true. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not just innocence and sweetness no. coming through with those eyes. No. And like you said, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, so we're not privy to what she's thinking. Right. Uh, but I think we see her thinking all the time and processing. 
But it also, based on our earlier conversation, it also occurred to me that this is unusual because our sympathy is with the person in the mask in this movie, right? That's yes. the opposite of, of how it usually works in these horror movies. She is both monster and victim. Right. Um, and I think it's actually, I mean, even I think even in the case of Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, I think we our heart is with the monster. This is definitely true. And she actually, she says something about... Uh, she says, my face frightens me, my mask frightens me mm-hmm. even more. Mm-hmm. This is that speech where she's saying they've removed all the wi- all the mirrors. Yeah. And that's creepy. Like, all the house, there's just these black squares where the mirrors used to be. Yeah. Uh, but she says, I see my reflection in the glass. I see it in windows. I see it in the blade of a knife, she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she says, my face frightens me, but my mask frightens me more. Yes. So, so basically, the situation here is Louise prowls. Four victims, mm-hmm. lures, attractive, blonde, blonde blue-eyed girls mm-hmm. back to the house so the doctor can cut their face off. Cut their faces off and transplant them onto Christiana. Mm-hmm. Do we need to think about Louise's motivation a little bit here? I mean, she's clearly in love with the doctor and she feels indebted to him because she was able to get a new face. So I think that. It's a little bit of that. I mean, we see her have, I think it's in the cemetery scene. Yeah, she's like, I can't do this I anymore. I can't do this yeah. anymore. And he's but, max her. But then she does do it. Yeah. More. She yeah. doesn't. She seems to be bought in completely on I mean, this. I think she also loves Christiane and wants Christiane to have a good life. And, and she believes that the doctor can do this. Um, so I think it is her belief in this man and science more broadly. And this feeling of like indebtedness to him. And where the fuck is she going? literally anywhere else no, i mean at a certain point you've seen too much <laughs> and you're you're not going to be good anywhere else in any other context you don't work anywhere else you're this is your context this is your context yes. now this is your weird family mm-hmm. now you're basically that like choker that she wears to hide her scars is like basically a leash <laughs> okay uh now you raised an interesting question okay after we watched the movie you said, what was the plan supposed to be? Well, because here's the here. thing. You have someone, at no point does the doctor technically directly murder anyone. Right. So the first victim that's dropped in the river, she didn't survive the operation. That's right. The second woman that they lure to the house, they successfully remove her face and she's yeah. all bandaged up. They just swaddle her in bandages. And he, Louise asks, like, what do you want me to do? Do you want? He's like, just feed her and I'll, I'll figure something out. So it's as if it's like, it's not necessarily a given that he's going to kill these women. It's just like, we're going to figure something out. Which, right. what the hell would you be figuring out? Right. That It is a good question. Like, what's, are you going to release her into right. the wild? What sure is what your plan? Is. She actually ends up, however, sort of escaping Louise and then she jumps to her death from the house. Right. So she dies of from. Her- is that from Christiane's room that she actually, does she make it that far up to tell. the tower? Yeah, I can't I'm tell not sure. Okay. that is. But yeah, so she takes her own life. Right. And then the final woman is able to escape, which we can talk about later. Right. The only actual killer in this film <laughs> is Christiane. Is Christiane. Jumping to the ending, but yes. Jumping to the ending. So it's. I think it's interesting because it's like he, he technically... We would have expected that of him, and it's it's not. The violence comes from her. But but that had to be the plan, right? I mean, 
Or was I don't, he, I really or don't was know he just going to keep these girls locked faces. up? I have no idea. I have no idea what the plan was. But it, at no point did it be, was it clear to me at least that he was planning to kill these women. Right. But I don't know what else he could have possibly thought <laughs> he was going to do. Okay, so here's another question. Does Christian know exactly what's happening with all of this throughout? So I had that question too. In the... At the early start of it... Because she knows her dad is trying to fix her face. She knows that. that. She and, knows and, that. And by the time the film starts, it sounds like they've tried at least once before. And it mm-hmm. didn't work out. So I don't know if she knows that it's coming from live women and, and that he's taking the faces off of these women. Um, it's hard to tell at the very beginning. Right. But then at some point, she does realize exactly how this is happening. Right. And it troubles her, to say the <laughs> least. So, yes, the second victim is Edna, mm-hmm. uh, whom Louise meets and befriends and says, oh, I have a room you can stay in, and then drives her out to the house. Um, Edna Edna senses something is wrong right. here, but... She makes the fatal mistake of turning her back to the doctor. <laughs> Don't do it. She gets chloroformed mm-hmm. and... Dragged to the dungeon. In the dungeon. The surgical theater. theater. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. So before, when Edna's on the table, mm-hmm. Christiane comes in. Yes. Christiane comes in. And at first, Edna is still sort of knocked out. Yeah. And then Christiane takes off her mask. And she starts to sort of caress Edna's face. Yes. And I think the, the, the thinking is that she makes a statement earlier where, like, she can't touch her own face because... She feels all the, like, ridges, and it just yes, feels plastic, yes. and she just feels the scarring. So this was her sort of being able to feel a face for the, you know, the first time. And Edna wakes up. <laughs> we get Edna's point of view. And she sees Christiane. Blurry at first, and then mask. comes into focus. Yeah, comes into, briefly comes into focus, yeah. and we see just, like, there's obviously burning and scarring. And she flips the fuck out and is that screams. That is the only time we see Christiane's face in the movie, right? That's the only time yeah. we see it. And again, it, it's really, like, a quick... In and out. It goes in focus and then out of focus just as quickly. And she just sort of recedes into, like, shadow. But it was... It's one of those things where it's like... um, What was that Shyamalan movie where it's like, it would have been better if we hadn't seen the aliens? It's like this question (laughs) of, like, did did we need to see the face? Or would it have been better if we'd never seen the face? Yeah. I had mixed feelings about that. I kind of think maybe we should not have seen it. Yeah. Because it it was not going to be as horrible as what we could imagine was behind that. Right. That beautiful mask. Yeah. It sort of reminded me of those um, that episode of um, Twilight Zone where everybody has yes. the pig face, yeah, except the woman. Um, so it was just like, oh, that's not that bad. Why they were freaking out about this? Um, so yeah, but it was yeah. And then yes, then we get the scene that that was making people faint. The story is that at the Edinburgh Film Festival, seven people fainted. Wow! In the audience. And supposedly Franju's quip about that was, now I know why Scotsmen wear skirts. Because oh. <laughs> he was not impressed with the Scottish audience's reaction to this movie. Pussies. He did, yes. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's talk about this scene. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a long shot, pretty much single shot. We have... There's no music. No, it's, it's just totally we're just silent, watching. And you're just hearing instruments clank, essentially. Yeah. But it's the doctor and Louise... And Edna's on the table, and he takes a pencil and sort of outlines the outer edges of her face, and then he outlines around her eyes and her mouth, 
And then he takes the scalpel. <laughs> and then he starts cutting. And there's no cut from the camera. Like, we're no. just watching him do it. Cuts all around her face. And they're sort of dabbing at the blood and everything like that. It doesn't become super disturbing until they start to sort of insert some sort of instrument between the skin and the muscle yeah, to start to loosen Basically, it up. once they get all the edges yeah. cut around, then he starts putting, like, clamps, yeah. forceps around all the edges in preparation for lifting it off. Mm-hmm. And it's just lying. It's just this flap, this open flap yeah. lying over her face with all these instruments attached to it. And then they lift the face off and we sort of see the bloody musculature <laughs> underneath the skin. It's a very clean job. It's wonderfully precise. It, I, I felt like he was a little slapdash about it. I mean, it's very. It's, I thought it was very well done. <laughs> um, not a whole lot of blood. But yeah, so we that's we see, you know, how he's been doing this. It is as much as it's like what we see, it was extraordinarily graphic yeah. for 1960. Yeah. I mean, if you think about Psycho or any of those movies, we don't see anything Hardly remotely anything, like yeah. that. But it's not even what we see. It's just there's something about that camera just lingering yeah. on that procedure every step of the way. That is the most horrifying thing. Well, there's, I mean, there's a coldness to it and the mm. matter-of-factness to it of just like, again, this is not a jump scare. This isn't even really meant to gross you out. It's just, this is what's happening now is he's going to cut their face off because yeah. that's what he's been doing. And, uh, you know, it works. Mm-hmm. He successfully grabs the gets face. gets a new face. And she... And he admit a little bit of self-awareness there. That's where he says, I've done so much wrong to perform this miracle. Yeah. So he's aware that, you know... He's had to cross a few lines here. Right, but he's okay with that. (laughs) But it works. His daughter is beautiful again. And we get a lovely dinner scene. Yeah. Where Louise and the doctor and Christiane in her new face. Are sitting there talking about how she's basically going to have to go become someone else. Yeah, she's going to need new papers. Yes. And everybody's okay with that. And and she says, what about, oh, she has this fiance who we met yeah. earlier at her supposed funeral mm-hmm. named Jacques, who's another doctor in the hospital where the her father works. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, what about Jacques? She, the doctor's like, well, you know, Jacques loves you. He'll understand. Yeah, Again, sure. what the story is going to be here, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's a lot of ambiguity here. But her face in that scene is interesting because... It's still sort of mask-like. Yes, it's very... Uh, she's still the sort of por- porcelain doll. And I mean, I think there's probably some smarter people that can think about what this film is trying to say about feminine beauty and mm-hmm. the obsession with beauty and right. youth. And he, it's a very much like intentionally wanting his daughter to look like a doll. Yes. Is odd. But yes, she... It. It's not... There's not a wrinkle. There's not a smile line it is very it's it's a blank face similar to the mask only you know it has blood flowing through it Mm -hmm. and part of that i think is she says something about how when she looks in a mirror Mm -hmm. now it still doesn't seem like her face she says so she looks in the mirror she says she sees someone who looks like me but comes from the beyond Mm -hmm. so it's this whole question of identity, like who you are, the fact that she, it's not that she's disfigured anymore. She right. has a beautiful it's face. Not her face. It's just not her, quite her face. Yeah. And she's it transformed into something else mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But no, they're all very pleased with how that went for a while. 
for like five minutes. <laughs> and then he realizes that her cheeks look a little too rosy. Yeah, there's a little some, something going on there. And he doesn't tell her at the time, but he and Louise walk out. And he's like, yeah, I'm worried about that. Like, it's it's gone yeah, wrong. He, I think he says, yeah. I've, I've failed. Yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah. And then we get this awesome series. Oh, God, that montage. This montage of photos of the skin graft deteriorating over time. But the photos are so stark. They're basically mug shots. Yeah. And so there's a series of them over time where it's like, okay, now you can start to see that there are blemishes showing up on the skin. And now you start to see, oh, necrosis is setting in. And now you start to see that. The, the basically it's just ulcers and the whole thing is falling off and they are just so and she looks so miserable straight on and it and to think that like we don't see him taking those photos of her and like what that feels right. like but like you like, documenting you said, the deterioration she feels like a specimen she doesn't this is yeah. no longer his daughter this is like she's an experiment and she's miserable and so we're back at square one where she's back yeah. in the mask yeah and she's had enough. She's more... She, at this point, is literally begging to, to die. die. Yes. She begs Louise to just let her die. Yes. She says... Because the doctor has these dogs, these cages full of dogs in the basement. And just testing on. That he experiments on. Yeah. on. And she says, you know, the the stuff that he uses to euthanize the dogs when something goes wrong, get sneak me a little mm-hmm. of that. She, mm-hmm. she begs Louise. And, of course, Louise is not going to do that. No. Because Louise has faith in the doctor. Yes. So Louise just gets her the mask back and says, time to put the mask back on. Uh, Christian calls Jacques a couple of times just to hear his voice and doesn't say anything the first time. And then I think it's the second time she calls him and she's got the tear on Mm -hmm. the mask, which is just an incredibly powerful image. Just that tear rolling down that porcelain face. But this time she says... She says his name. She says his name. So he now knows or suspects that she's alive. She thinks he's dead. And this gets in the... Gets the incredibly helpful local police involved in the case. So they do what I think is something that is definitely not allowed. (laughs) It's fucked up! So earlier in the film, we're at the police station and... There's a woman in there who had been brought in for shoplifting, yeah. a young woman. Paulette. Paulette. They take her address down, the whole thing. And then when Jacques comes and says, yeah, I like, I think the doctor's doing something. We were with young women. Something is going on. Right. Then the police do put it together. That right. There have been a couple of different blonde, blue-haired, right. blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls that have gone that missing. That have gone missing. So they call Paulette back and they're like, Paulette. <laughs> <laughs> you going to jail, bitch? Yeah. Like they about to. We're, we're, right. we're taking you. To Earlier trial. they were gonna let her off right. from shoplifting. Like, no, no, now they're like, no, no. It's like, no, no. It's serious, Paulette. Like you're gonna spend the rest of your life in jail unless you help us do this thing. <laughs> First, go dye your hair. You need to be blonde. And I love her response. Is like, it doesn't really suit me. And like, yeah. yeah, no, no. Go ahead and dye it blonde. <laughs> and then we're gonna need you to like infiltrate this doctor's hospital. And sort of see what he does. I don't know how much information they give her. Obviously none, or she would never, she would certainly be more nervous than she appears to be. But she's like, sure, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so she dyes her hair so blonde. They, they make her they make her go undercover. They send her in as a, right. and, as bait. As a bait, yes. Basically. Bait. Yes. And he takes the bait. Yeah. She's a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed woman. Uh-huh. And so he... Does this whole thing where he like takes her through these tests basically to make sure that she's a fit option and will be viable in the in the operation. 
Uh, then they release her, and Louise, coincidentally enough, is there to pick her up so mm-hmm. she doesn't have to walk home. I'll just give you a ride. Yeah. Now, it's bad enough that the police set this situation up. Mm-hmm. Then they don't seem to actually... No, there's no protection. Like, she, they just, yeah. They, I don't know what the plan was here. N- there was no plan, no. <laughs> apparently. Not to follow her and see where no. they take her. Mm-mm. Not to, Because she absolutely would have gotten her face sliced off. Absolutely. Had Christiane not There intervened. was no, at no point were they prepared to intervene if something bad was going to happen. So they to are terrible at. at their job. <laughs> they really suck. There's an interesting scene in there. This is... It's it's at the same time Paulette is in the hospital undercover. Mm-hmm. And that's where she meets the doctor for the first time. The doctor is also treating this little boy. Yeah, that was a weird scene. Who appears to be going blind or something? I didn't know what was going on there. And I I just read something that said the American version when they released it in the states they cut out most of the surgery scene. Interesting. They just sort of faded to black on it, and they cut out the scene of the doctor with the little boy. Hmm. And because that, like, was making the villain sympathetic. Yeah. Like, showing a human side to the monster when he's treating that little boy in the hospital. Which, if that, for one thing, doesn't say everything you need to know about the difference between European cinema and American cinema. Like, really? We can't have any kind of... And he was always complicated. He was always a complicated villain. Right. Um, And he wasn't going to help that kid, so it didn't matter. Like, that kid... (laughs) Does he need glasses? Is something wrong? So yeah. He's doing how many fingers with that kid? Well, the and they came out so solemn. Getting... And I was like, is the kid dying? Or what is happening? <laughs> I took it to mean the kid was going blind or something. I but, see. Okay. But I agree with you. The doctor did not seem like he was going to be able to help right. this child. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, so that, I, I think he was already, at least for me, he was never fully, oh my God, this is an evil man with no heart. No, right. he was always complicated but again this was released in the u.s under the title the chamber of dr faustus (laughs) on a double bill with the manster so they were not looking for any kind of emotional nuance god only knows what audience who saw it on a double bill with the manster thought of it so now we are we're pretty much to the the climax of the film here Mm -hmm. and this is what like i guess i thought and this is my own pedestrian expectations I was waiting for some sort of argument, some sort of confrontation, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. sort of crisis of conscience. Christiane confronts her father and says, what yeah. you're doing is wrong, blah, blah. We, we never really get that. No. There's, this could have been a silent movie very easily yes. for all the dialogue that is exchanged between characters. It, it all happens in the eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, they are eyes without a face. Like, it's, we, we have to... The moral dilemma of the movie is resolved behind her porcelain mask, yes. right? It's just in just in her eyes where she... And we don't really get any warning that she's come to a decision about it. No. So Paulette is on <clears throat> the operating table. Yeah. And she's all clamped up and they're ready to go. And then the police, in yeah. all their wisdom, finally come to the, to the house. And Louise is like, okay, well, there are two men here. There are police here. You, you know, you got to go deal with it. So the doctor and Louise leave... The operating room. And I don't, I can't remember when I realized that Christiane was in the room. But so there's this whole, like, almost like a fainting couch inside the the operating room. And she's been sitting there and it apparently was just going to watch them, possibly. She may have interrupted. But she was going to watch them perform this surgery. 
And she, again, she looks like a little broken doll on this couch. Yeah. And she's looking over at, at Paulette. Paulette wakes up and is like struggling and screaming and trying to sort of get free. And you see Christiane sort of, she just sort of shakes her head. And I think that's where she's just like, this is not right. Like, you can't do this. So she goes over to the surgery table. She picks up the scalpel. Paulette's freaking out because she just sees this right, she ghostly thinks. figure in this mask. And she's like, what the fuck is right, going on here? She thinks she's the monster. Right. And she cuts Paulette free. Yeah. And Paulette's able to escape. In the meantime, the police are fucking useless. They were basically <laughs> like, yeah, did you, did this woman Paulette check into the hospital? Oh, she did? Oh, she checked out? She checked out? Okay. Cool. <laughs> and then that's Sorry the, to bother you. That's into the investigation. <laughs> So they were not going to be any help whatsoever. absolutely not. So he returns to, um, he starts to head back in. Louise gets back to the operating room first. And she sees Christiane with a scalpel in her hand. And Christiane stabs her in the throat right, like, in where the scar would be. Right through the pearl necklace. Her skin graft. And Louise has this amazing, just like this, like, why look on her face. Like, she can't possibly understand why Christiane would have done this to her. Yeah. And then uh, she go. Christiane goes on to free all of the dogs. Yes, and the doves because there were also doves in the right. in the chamber. The doctor goes to open the door, and all of the dogs come out <laughs> and just like maul him to death. They they rip his face they off. They rip his face off, and it's a it is it's a like for 1960. I imagine that was a pretty yeah graphic thing to see. And then you just see Christiane sort of float out of the dungeon sort of area. And she's just Very surrounded by again. doves. Yeah. And she's in this, like, again, this white gown with her white mask and her weird sort of stiff-like movements. And she has, like, a dove resting on her hand. And well, we've seen earlier, there was a, pic- a painting of yes, her when she in was, the house yes. from before her accident where she has doves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, it's... It's obvious symbolism. Yes. It's like the doves are her soul. The doves yes. are her freedom. Because mm-hmm. she also had these cage doves. And then at the end of the movie, she lets the doves out of the cage and she's out in the woods. And yeah. she's like reclaimed her freedom, her freedom and, or her, yeah. her humanity. Or, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the movie ends. That is where the movie it's a It's a beautiful, beautiful shot. It really is. Because she's just, it's just her and these white doves just swallowed up by blackness. It's a really, really beautiful shot. And that was Eyes Without a Face. That was Eyes Without a Face. So, you know, what what, what price beauty? (laughs) Very high, apparently. (laughs) Very, very high. But worth it? No. (laughs) Not at all. I thought she looked good in the mask. I thought that was... It's a look. I don't think that... That would not have been a deal breaker for me. I was like, all right. Well, that's because, yeah, you just... That is a very attractive mask you're wearing. That's just troubling in a whole lot of ways. (laughs) So, final verdict on Eyes Without a Face. I, like I, I really do need. I liked it too. I do. I need to watch it. I a do few think more it's something times. that that it gets better the more you sort of sit with it and you you can watch it. Because I think the first let viewing, the images resonate. Yeah, you're sort of resetting your expectations for it, and it's like, oh, okay, this is what this is. Um, right. Let me just sit with this for a second. Yeah, I liked it. Was it scary? I don't think it was scary. Okay. Uh, it was moody. Mm-hmm. It Atmospheric. Wasn't scary. Yeah. But I didn't find it scary. It it does cast a spell, though. You mm. you get into a particular slightly surreal, slightly mm-hmm. fairy tale. Mm-hmm. That's it's just incredibly effective. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not. There's also just you know we said 
you you mentioned it could be a silent film, and we mentioned earlier that you know Christiane doesn't say a lot. There's actually not a whole lot of dialogue in the film no. in and of itself. Mm-mm. So it really is something that you're just you get absorbed in it just because you're like trying to pick up everything that's not being said and pay attention. And it's just so much of it is in the dark. And so what's happening in the shadows and what's in the light and all of these things. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting little film. All right. Anything else to say about eyes without a face? No. It's a good movie. Good movie. Oh, good movie. That's, I mean, a rare thing for you to for say at is, the end of one of these one of the, sessions. It's like a good movie that would be like, you want to project it large scale. Like, it's just a good vibe. <laughs> just have that on. It's not super scary. It's not super loud. It's just a good vibe. Good Halloween vibe. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as the Unenthusiastic Critics 2022 Horror Marathon continues with John Fawcett's cult classic menstrual monster movie, Ginger Snaps, from 2000. Menstrual monster movie. So I haven't seen this, obviously. That's our, our theme this year, is movies I haven't seen and have been meaning to watch. Mm-hmm. My understanding is it's two teenage sisters, at least one of whom becomes a werewolf right around the time of her first period. So, you know, when you're a werewolf, time of the month just takes on a whole whole no meaning and I think that's what's what's happening here. Have a happy period. <laughs> okay, sure. If only, if only we could turn into wolves during that time of the month. That would be helpful. So I'm I'm this movie has a great reputation. People love this movie. I'm hoping it sort of fits into other movies in a similar theme. Mm-hmm. We both liked raw. Mm-hmm. We both liked teeth. Uh, you know, The Craft, the sort of teenage girl empowerment movie. Uh, we shall see. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Actually, I've been meaning to watch it for some time. Okay. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can download earlier episodes, leave us a comment, or sign up for our email list. You can also follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. You know who she looks like. <laughs> and you may not... Why do you, why do you gotta interrupt my spiel? And you may not... You do it all the time. I don't... This may have been a season that you tapped out. You know this is the one scripted part of the show, and yet you gotta throw it I off. I can't remember what season it is. But do you remember, did you see the episode of The Simpsons where um, Mr. Burns gets, like, all those medical procedures done and then he ends up being, like, a glowing sort of orb and he's very happy and he's, like, yeah, walking through The Simpsons Yeah, it's the Woods. X-Files episode. Yes. yes. She looks sort of like that. <laughs> she does sort of look like that out in the woods. I kept trying yes. to, like, why does she, why is this, like, giving me a little, I was like, what is it, what is it? And that's what it is. I bring peace. <laughs> so that's, yeah. Sorry, it was bugging me. I couldn't even remember. Continue. (laughs) I I had one line left. Okay, do your one line. Until next week, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. See, you know the script. You just wait for that to end, and then you can do your other thing. Well, I needed to say it because I remembered it, so. (laughs) Now I've said it. You finished your little line. Everything is fine. 
fine is a relative term. <laughs> I don't have anything else on this <laughs> this particular topic, do you? That's I need to go back and watch some Scooby Doo. Because it was trying to tell us something about capitalism. About capitalism. Yes. They were all landlords. Terrible. And, like, I'm trying to raise the rent on this place and you you fucking kids. I would have gotten away with it too. Damn it, should have listened. It's a socialist treatise. <laughs> I fucking love it. Scooby Doo is Pro drugs. <laughs> Like very pro drugs, pro drugs yeah. and sandwiches. Shaggy was and a stoner, and I don't know what was in the Scooby snacks, but there was Who something. Knows what was in the Scooby snacks? Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's yeah. Maybe I need to revisit Scooby. I think uh, Velma just came out too. I saw that. Yeah. Which didn't we all know she was? I mean, we did at least it on the spectrum. It, right. It will be. It was not official though. So you're right. They were indoctrinating our children. Scooby Doo. And of her which crew, I am all for. Like Shaggy was not cute. What was the other guy? Frank. What's Fred. His name? Fred. What was wrong with Fred? He was a good-looking guy. He no, wore a cravat. Was... Exactly. <laughs> he was like B-level Ken doll, and Ken isn't even high. He's just like, do you? Uh, I don't think there's anything between your legs. Um, so then you had, what's her name? Daphne. Daphne. Who was hot. Who was hot. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You go with Daphne in that situation. <laughs> Though she seems like she'd be a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Definitely high maintenance. Ugh. You want to talk about Scooby-Doo some more? No, I'm done. (laughs) Talk to me about the mystery machine. (laughs) It's a good van. (laughs) Roomy? Were they all living in that van, though? I don't know that we ever saw where they lived. I can't remember. I'm actually not sure about that. They spent a lot of time. You're right. We do need to go back and revisit Scooby-Doo. I think we need to revisit the Scooby-Doo. Because I I don't recall. Because now I have questions. Them being in a house together. I, I have some questions. Um... So it's possible that they were. What's that movie with uh, Francis McDormand? <laughs> Nomadland. <laughs> it could have been that sort of situation. Again, anti-capitalist. All right, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go back and revisit that. I, I think, think so. I think it's important. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Nobody listens to this. This is why we go on these tents because nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, it's liberating to know. Like, if we had millions of listeners. We would have been in trouble a long time ago. Like, I don't know if we could do what we do. No, no. Because at be least a, I can speak for myself. I'm an and asshole. And if, if we had, like, corporate sponsorship. I'm just in here being If we an had advertisers. On purpose. Like, just. And we had to worry about exactly. offending the advertisers like, be, and stuff. They would just. That would be a nightmare. You know. What is it? Uh, what's the fucking suitcases that everybody has? <laughs> the suitcase, the, they all had those ads for a really long time. It was like, uh, they fuck, what are they called? I don't know, what the hell are you talking the about? The fucking suitcases. <laughs> you can keep everybody saying that. Everybody had the suitcase I'm not gonna know. In their podcast. Can't remember what they were called. <laughs> I don't remember. Never mind. Take this out, because I don't remember what they were called. But <laughs> there was a period of time where everyone had, it was a, it's a suitcase brand, Okay, I know, I know what you mean. I just don't know. And they were the all brand. like modern and had, every podcast like, had the advertisement for the suitcase yes, brand. Okay, right. yeah. like so, we would not be able no. to have those. Well, they things. they never called us, so it didn't come up. <laughs> no one calls us. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're saying now is, we think that's a good thing. Yes, sure. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't make money. <laughs> Oh, 
Right. Yes, that's what we're saying. Away. That's the suitcase brand. <laughs> I never know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> it was a way suitcase. Sorry. <clears throat> Proceed. Anyway. Or the mental health things. We could be, I would like that. Those people should like us. We clearly need help. What's, uh? it's like the online mental health. Um, oh, like the, the internet yes, therapist therapy. that yes. you can get. Yes. I feel like that's Just our more Zoom calls. I, I don't want more Zoom our... calls. Turn on your camera. <laughs> I can't. I'm a murderer. That's why I'm calling. I need help. The skin smells really bad. <laughs> I think we're in that zone this week where you just don't want to watch the movie. <laughs> so you could do this all day. What bobbin do you need to thread skin? Exactly. I feel like that's a, that's a strong needle. I'm not a seamstress myself, Maybe. so Maybe. I don't really know. Maybe not. I guess skin is pretty. I don't know. Do you hand sew that or do you do it on a machine? I mean, I would imagine you do it on a machine, but that's what I'm asking. Like some, I think the machines are... like So we watch Project Runway, and mm. anytime they have the unconventional... Materials challenge. Somebody ends up breaking the needle, right? Because it's like they're trying to put like fucking machine, steel the through the thing, and it's like we can't and, do it. And so I don't, yeah. I don't know if skin would fall in that category or not. I mean, they, I guess you can do leather, so it's not that different from leather. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we end up in some weird you areas of conversation. Just cut it out. It's fine. In <laughs> the conversation where it sounds like we're still in control of our faculties, <laughs> and move on. I'll, I'll see if I can find that place. Mm. I think it's before the Scooby-Doo stuff. I mean, it definitely we, before the Scooby-Doo stuff. That's when stuff. we went off the rails. <laughs> it's unclear to me whether we were ever on the rails. No, no, definitely.